morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Great to be with you again today. Uh, before we get into the word today, uh, I want to, to, to reflect a little bit on something that has been bothering me and, and perhaps bothers you too, but it's, it can be difficult to talk about because um, it's because people just, you know, in, in the climate we live in today, maybe, you know, you talk about the issue I'm about to raise, you're going to likely be called a racist, particularly if you're an American of, of, uh, of European ancestry. You can't, you, you can't even touch these kinds of issues. But I don't really care. Uh, I think we all ought to be able to talk about anything that we think is worthy of discussion. And, uh, and I'm going to do it. And I don't care whether people like it or not. Um, I don't know whether you all saw this. Forgive me for looking down. I'm looking for a particular um, article uh, about a serial killer. You say, why are you looking for that? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you here in a second if I can find it. Um, I'll tell you whether I can find it or not. Um, but I don't know whether you all saw this um, video of these three people beating up the 61-year-old woman, knocking her off her rocker, beating her on the ground to get her stuff. The assailants were all black. I couldn't tell the race of the woman, uh, so I don't know whether she was black. I, I think she was black, but I'm not sure. That, that's not really relevant uh, to what I want to discuss. Here's what is striking me. You watch these people walking out of these stores with all this stuff in their hands, and they're invariably black shoplifters who are walk, just walking out willy-nilly. You see these attacks on people walking down the street, these unprovoked, vicious sneak attacks on people, and the assailant is invariably black. Um, you look at these crimes that are being committed uh, the, the people who are being released by these stupid prosecutors for crimes, and almost always the assailants are black. And you look at the situation and you hear about, oh, well, the criminal justice system is inherently unjust and America is inherently racist and all of this stuff. Even before George Floyd in 2020, the data was that about 56% of murders uh, in America are performed by black men, are, are committed, not performed, committed by black men. And you realize that is completely disproportionate to the number of the population. That means that over half the murders in America are committed by 6% of the population. And that 6% of the population is black, generally young black men. And now you watch this unfolding <clears throat> spike in crime and you realize that these crimes are being predominantly committed by black people against black people. And here's what this brings me to. By promoting and propounding <clears throat> a racial worldview, you know, critical race theory, 1619 Project, George Floyd, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, everybody's a victim. All it, it promotes this notion, this lying, false notion, 
All black people are virtuous victims. And all white people are evil oppressors. I mean, let's face it, that's really what the, that's, that's the view, the lens through which the left wants us to see the world. All black people are virtuous victims. All white people are evil oppressors. Now, of course, they would exclude me because since I'm not a leftist, I'm, I'm not a virtuous victim because I'm not a victim, A, and from their perspective, I'm certainly not virtuous, B, because I, I believe in God, strike one. <laughs> you know? I believe the Bible, strike two. I, I believe that all human beings are created equal and we're all equal in the sight of God and skin color doesn't matter, strike three. I believe that America is a great nation and a wonderful nation and a noble nation and a blessed nation. And I'm glad to be here and think this is the greatest place on earth for anybody to live and grow and work. Strike four, you know, and on and on it goes. So I'm clearly not a virtuous victim. I'm not a victim, A, and I'm certainly not virtuous, B, because of the views that I hold. But see, that, that's the point for them. Individuals aren't important and individuals don't matter. It is the collective identity that matters. And so it's not about E.W. Jackson as an individual. He doesn't matter. It's about, it's about black people. It's about uh, 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 um, Americans with darker skin, people of color, if you will, against those Americans of European ancestry or white people, if you will. And they don't matter as individuals either, okay? You, you're not an individual. You're just part of a big mass glob of humanity that fits into a certain category that they put you in, and therefore you, by virtue of that, you are an evil oppressor. Now, this is something I know that a lot of people would be very, very reluctant, probably wouldn't be willing to say, because they would be immediately called racist for saying it. But, but it needs to be said. What the left has done by refusing to view people as individuals and classing black people by definition as virtuous victims is to excuse away the evil behavior that black people engage in and, and dismissing it, letting them out of prison, uh, no bail, no charges, steal what you want, um, kill children in the black neighborhoods. It's, it's really no big deal. You know, I mean, well, we, we, we know by law we've got to do something, but let's not make a big deal of it because after all, they're oppressed and virtuous victims, you see. So they're killing people. Uh, let's not get lost in the details, okay? Let's not get lost in the weeds. The important thing is they're virtuous victims, even if they're out gunning down innocent people. And what this runs the risk of doing is aiding and abetting and encouraging people to behave like monsters and animals. In other words, it feeds into helping people to become 
the very stereotypes that they say racism would call them. Well, it, it brings me to, to the point that leftists are the biggest racists on the planet because they are in effect creating monsters. They are in effect fulfilling the stereotype by saying, well, you know, um, black people can't help it. They're poor. They got to steal. They can't help it. They're poor as a result of slavery and Jim Crow. They got to kill. They got to kill other people. That's it's not their fault. They're not at the level of human intellect and ability to make choices that would allow them to do something different, you see. They're not at that level of evolution. And so let's not make a big deal of their stealing and killing and any of that, because after all, they're virtuous victims in the end. You know, they're like little children throwing tantrums. They can't help it. They're just not mature enough to know better. So you correct them, and eventually, maybe, maybe eventually, you can train them out of it. But, but after all, they are children in the end. Do you see what I'm getting at? This, this is what a racial worldview is helping to produce in our country. And, and look, and the sad matter is, and even Jesse Jackson confirmed this, he probably wouldn't do it today because he's such a coward. But even he confirmed this years ago, there are a lot of things that he used to say in the past. And in the past, he used to be pro-life, but he's not now. Because he's, cause again, because cause he's, a, he's a greedy crook and a coward. But basically, that's what Jesse Jackson is. I mean, he's just a crook and a coward. He wouldn't say this today, but there was a time when he said, even I would be, and I'm paraphrasing, but even I would be afraid going into some of these inner cities if I see somebody coming up on me who where I think he I think he might have been used wearing a hoodie. But, you know, the implication was if you you're 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 carrying yourself like a thuggish person to have the fact that you happen to be black doesn't change the fact that I may be afraid of what you might do to me. Now, the fact of the matter is, we are creating, not you and me, and not me, but, but the left is creating a situation that feeds into the very racism that they claim they're trying to stop, which is black people as virtuous victims have to commit crimes, and we have to excuse it, and we have to look the other way because they can't help themselves, and this is what society has produced. It's not them. They're not making decisions on their own. They're not capable of that. They're being forced into this behavior by society. The end result, though, is they're still dangerous. And you got to watch it when they're around. Because they're the people who are robbing. They're the people who are looting. They're the people who are murdering. They're the people who are carjacking. They're the people who are raping. They're the people who are robbing. They're the people who are beating up old women in the street to take what they've got. They're the people who are knocking women off of their walkers in order to take what they've got. Now, we know, and, and you all understand what I'm saying, I know that not all black people are doing that. I know the vast majority are not doing that. 
But what I'm saying is we're living in a society that is justifying that behavior. And as a result, it's getting more of it and, and more and more and more of it is being committed by black citizens, by Americans of African ancestry. They're the ones committing the murders in Chicago. They're the ones who are killing children in Memphis. They're the ones who are killing children in St. Louis and on and on and on and on it goes. This is the danger of having a racial worldview. Because basically what you end up doing is perpetuating stereotypes rather than destroying stereotypes. See, as far as I'm concerned, a thug is a thug and a criminal is a criminal and a killer is a killer. I don't care what the color of his skin is. And he deserves everything the law brings against him or her. If we want to gender equality, right? A rapist is a rapist. A robber is a robber. I don't care what the color of their skin is. And the behavior they're engaged in is wrong and they should be punished for it because they made the individual choice to engage in that behavior. And I'm not buying that slavery is responsible and Jim Crow is responsible and discrimination is responsible. No, that person who's doing it is responsible. But I'll tell you what, who ought to be locked up with them is Black Lives Matter and these Democrat politicians and these prosecutors who are justifying this behavior and winking at it and turning a blind eye to it while innocent people are victimized by it. Look, let me just let me just say something point blank. Americans of African ancestry are not oppressed by Americans of European ancestry in this country. That's a lie. That's a myth. Americans of African ancestry who are poor, who live in the inner cities, are oppressed by other Americans of African ancestry. That's the truth. Their houses are invaded. Bullets fly through their walls. Their children are killed in the streets or even playing or sleeping in their own homes. Their stores are, ri- are, 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 are uh, looted and robbed and, and burned up. Their communities are racked with violence. People are afraid to be out on the street lest they be in the middle of a, of a shootout that happens somewhere that gets them and their children killed. The people who are oppressing the, the poor people who live in the inner cities of America are black criminals and thugs who need to be locked up. And they're not virtuous victims, they're vicious criminals. And they need to be treated as such. And all this stuff about, oh, the criminal justice system is unfair because there's a disproportionate number of black people in prison. Well, there's a disproportionate number of black people committing violent crimes. Yeah, I'm I'm saying it because it's the truth. A biblical worldview says you look at people as individuals and you evaluate people based upon the heart their character and their competence, not the color of their skin. The best thing that America can do going forward is to come against this tribalism that the left is trying to push on us with the, with the, with the, the greatest forcefulness 
that we can muster and destroy that ideology, destroy that Marxism. That's Marxism. Collectivism is a Marxist ideology. It's Marxist. I, it, it, it's a Marxist idea, you know, class warfare, you know. The oppressed versus the oppressor, the capitalist versus the proletariat, the, the owners of the means of production versus the worker, the white versus black, people of color versus white people. Oh, that's, oh, that, that's Marxist ideology. And for all of you black folks out there who claim to be Christians, who supported Black Lives Matter, when they came out in support of Fidel Castro and the Cuban communist regime, that ought to have been the end of it for you. It should have been the end of it a long time ago. They're godless. They hate God. They hate the family. They hate America. They hate Christianity. And you're supporting them. Oh, well, I make a distinction between the organization. Oh, give me a break. Stop splitting hairs. That's like saying, well, you know, the devil doesn't get everything right. I mean, he does, the devil doesn't get everything wrong. That's like Bernie Sanders. Well, yes, I don't like the authoritarianism of Cuba, but after all, Fidel Castro created a literacy program. That was good. That's like saying, well, you know, the devil doesn't do everything wrong. The devil does do some things right. Now, let's give the devil credit. Let's not be too hard on the devil. Let's, we, you know, the devil deserves a pat on the back now and then, too. Ugh. Black Lives Matter is of the devil. And this is what it's giving us. Black folks beating up 61-year-old women, to, knocking them off their walkers and beating them on the ground like they're dogs. Children dying. I've got a list now, I think, of 128 children murdered since January 1 in street violence. The last 15-year-old in his home playing video games when a bullet came through the wall of the apartment and killed him dead. Wasn't a white supremacist who shot him. It wasn't a police officer who shot him. It was a vicious criminal, not a virtuous victim of slavery and Jim Crow. And oh, he needs to be found and adjudicated and put in prison for the rest of his miserable life. Maybe there he'll get saved at least. Repent for his sin. So I don't want to hear this. I just wanted to basically share with you all this idea. A biblical worldview says, I don't care what the color of your skin is, I'm going to evaluate you as an individual. If you happen to be Irish, I'm not going to look at you and say, yeah, uh, probably a beer guzzler. If you happen to be Italian, I'm, going to look at you, I'm not going to look at you and say, oh, yeah, probably a gang, probably mafioso. And if you happen to be an American of African ancestry, I'm not going to look at you and say, yeah, probably a thug and a, 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 a drug dealer and a killer. But, you know, the left would have you think that that's what all black people are into. And they all need to be rescued because none of it's their fault. They don't need to be put in prison. They need to be, they need to be given justice, social justice. You know, the Bible doesn't have a concept of social justice. Social justice is nothing but a euphemism for socialism. 
the Bible speaks of justice, and you cannot separate justice from righteousness. Justice and righteousness go hand in hand. There is no justice without righteousness, and this is what the left is trying to convince us to accept. Let me see if this is the guy here. Um, uh, I don't think it is. You know, here's what I, what I was thinking about. You know, you hear um, these concepts, and I'm going get, to get to the word here in, this, in, in, in one second. But you hear these broad sweeping generalizations such as, for example, um, mass murderers are young to middle-aged white men. As if, see, there's something wrong with white men. Those are individuals doing a particular thing. They happen to come from a particular demographic. So what? But no one is willing to say, on the other hand, with all of these black men committing murders in the inner cities, there's something wrong with black men. But see, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, I'm not arguing that this, you should make those generalizations. I'm arguing that we should not. Because what we're really assessing is evil. And evil is a matter of individual behavior. What we've got to guard against is, is, is not, is making evil a cultural norm. Which is, in my view, what the left is, is, is really done to the black community. They basically tried to make evil a cultural norm. Murder and, and drive-by shootings and, and drug dealing and, I mean, here again, George Floyd's been turned into an icon. George Floyd's no icon. I wish somebody would try to put a statue of George Floyd up somewhere near me. I'd be right there saying, oh, oh no, you will not. Oh, you, oh, here it is. I found it. Oh, no, you will not. No, you will not. When you're going to take your children to the statue of George Floyd and say, George Floyd, we look up to him. He was a meth addict and a fentanyl addict. And he was passing counterfeit money. And he got into a bad encounter with police, and a bad police officer killed him. What a hero. Maybe one day you can be a fentanyl addict. Maybe one day you, little Johnny, can be a meth addict. And maybe one day you can pass counterfeit money, and you can get into an encounter with police that leads to, to your death, and we'll build a statue of you. See how insane that is? But that's what comes out of a racial worldview. A biblical worldview would say, yes, George Floyd was a victim, but he was not virtuous. And he does not de deserve to be lionized and, 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 and admired and exalted like he's some kind of civil right. I mean, Joe Biden had the nerve to compare him to Martin Luther King. Now, here, here's the example I was thinking of, and I, you may find this a little bit off or strange, but, but I... I I'm making a, a, a broader point. 
who is the most prolific serial killer in American history? Now, I know you probably immediately think of Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, or Jeffrey Dahmer, or um, uh, what was the guy who was who committed the? Uh, he was out in California, the Green River Killer. I, his his name escapes me at the moment. All of whom, by the way, are Americans were Americans of of Africa of uh, of, Amer of Americans of European ancestry. Because here again, the myth is propagated that white men, that's what this, they're white, something. These are, generally speaking, it's white men doing this. The fact of the matter is there have been many, many black serial killers. And the most prolific serial killer in American history was Sam Little. And Sam Little was black. And he had 93 victims to his record, 93 murders, black man. Now, I, I said that, I said, you might find that a little strange to bring up. I said that simply to make the point that I'm constantly making. Because when I say serial killers, you think of these other people, right? You think of, quote, unquote, white people. But the most prolific serial murder in American history is a black man. And I say that simply to make this point. It's not the skin. It's the sin. There's nothing evil in the nature of melanin of whatever kind one may have. And by the way, my research tells me there's not only do we have different amounts of melanin, but different kinds of melanin in our skin that, are, that perform different purposes depending upon the climates from which our ancestors come. But, that, but, to, but the melanin is not what makes a person evil. It's the heart. That's what Jesus said. Out of the heart come lies and murders and adulteries and, 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 and blasphemies. I'm telling you Christians out there, particularly you black Christians, you better pay attention to me. You better stop letting people have you look at life as through, through a racial lens, and you better get your Bible open and start looking at the world and looking at life through a biblical lens. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in a very, very bad situation with God. I'm serious. You're going to end up in a very bad situation with God because you're basically conforming to the world. The word says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're conformed to the world. You're trying to look at the world, at life the way the world tells you. Or some stupid pastor tells you to look at it. Yeah, the black folks this and the black folks that and the white folks this. My wife and I visited a church when we first got to, to uh, Virginia. And the pastor stood up and said, yeah, you know, the white folks. And you know what? We left. We were gone. You ought to be talking about sin, not the white folks. That's sick. That's spiritually sick. It's, it's degenerate. It's immoral. It's blasphemy in the pulpit of God to get up and talk like that. And you are no better than the racist and the antebellum South who got up and talked about black people belonging in that position, that that's what they were like, that's what they deserved, that's what they needed, that's what was right for them. You're no better than they are. It's the same thing in reverse. 
You better start looking at the world through a biblical lens. And the word of God says in uh, 2 Corinthians, I said, we all know 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Everybody knows that. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all things, what did I say, 2 Corinthians, where am I here? Oh, 2 Corinthians 5, that's a 7, 2 Corinthians 5. We all know 17, right. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. But very few of us know the verse that comes before it that gives it its context, which says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. You Christians hearing me? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. The color of their skin, the texture of their hair, what they look like. says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, Paul says, even though we knew what he looked like, even though we knew his complexion, we saw, we looked at his hair, we saw his height, we, we don't know him that way anymore. We don't think about that any longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, all, that old way of looking at things according to the flesh has passed away. That old way of looking at Christ according to the flesh has passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God. And God is spirit. We're looking at the spirit now. We're looking at the heart now. We're looking at the character now. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And look at this. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is it that keeps people apart? Fleshly considerations, fleshly obsessions keeps people apart. We now no longer think that way. We now think according to how God thinks because God has now given us the ministry of reconciliation because we don't let the flesh divide us anymore because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and committed to us the word of reconciliation. I don't have any right to look at any person according to the color of their skin, according to the word of God. I'm violating God's word when I do that. Because now, oh, all things are of God now, who is spirit. I'm looking for the spirit of the thing, not the fleshly outward appearance of the thing, or the person, if you will. But these leftists are creating monsters and perpetuating stereotypes by justifying all kinds of sinful, wicked, evil behavior and refusing to call it out because you can't call that out because that's only virtuous victims walking out the consequences of having been, been so oppressed. Yeah, try that before God when you stand before him. Those three people that beat down that old woman, knocked her off her rocker, kicked her while she was on the ground, stand before God and say, well, now wait a minute, Lord, you, you understand. 
we're, we're virtuous victims. We're the oppressed. We're people of color. We're black. And therefore, we get a pass on all that stuff because after all, our ancestors were enslaved. And some of them suffered Jim Crow and discrimination. And so we're good. Yeah, mm-hmm. try it. Try it. Stand before God and be judged worthy of hell, fire, and damnation for that abominable way of viewing life and that abominable way of treating people based on the color of their skin. You know you're, you're no better when you do that than Simon Legree. Remember who Simon Legree was? Simon Legree was the evil character in Uncle Tom's cabin. Uncle Tom, by the way, was the hero of the book, a Christian man who happened to be a black, happened to be black and a slave who loved Simon Legree in spite of Simon Legree's evil. And they turned him into a, 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 a character, caricature of weakness and, and, and uh, a sycophancy when nothing could have been further from the truth. The idiots never read a book, most of them anyway. Well, forgive me, that's gratuitous, but you get my point, <laughs> right? Folks, I, you know, this stuff just... I mean, if they've, they've, read, if they've read anything, they've read Ibram Kendi's stupid books about, you know, because he says the only way to cure discrimination is more discrimination. No, he actually says that. He actually, the only way to cure discrimination is more discrimination. The only way to cure present discrimination is future discrimination. The only way to cure past discrimination is present discrimination. Yeah. The idiot actually is writing that stuff, and you got school systems paying them $25,000 to come and spew that garbage into the minds and hearts of our young people. In other words, to give them a racial worldview, too. We are a Judeo-Christian country, not a racial country. We are a country that's always believed that God is supreme, not the color of one's skin. We are not a perfect country. But we are a country that's been mightily blessed by God because in the end, our country is rooted, grounded, founded, built on faith in almighty God. Faith, family, freedom. Three great pillars of American culture. Faith in almighty God, the God of the Bible. Not Islam, not Buddhism, the God of the Bible. Christianity and Judaism, old covenant scriptures as well. Because remember, Christianity grows out of Judaism. I've been accused of being an anti-Semite. I look at people, just, it makes me want to, I, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that stupidity. No true Christian can be an anti-Semite, but I, I don't want to get off into that. But, but yeah, our, but our, our country is built on those principles, not on race. Okay. Let me get to the word here. I've only got a few minutes left, but I guess, uh, as they say, I, I did it again, right? <laughs> oh, wow. We're, we're, we're going to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and I covered this uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3, actually. Um, the commandment for children to obey their parents in the Lord. Fourth verse says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And by, I really believe that the reason why the scripture says that there is that fathers have a tendency to be 
matter-of-fact disciplinarians um, who, who give their children attention when they're doing something wrong and don't give them enough attention when they're doing something right or just loving on them and blessing them and encouraging them and, 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 and just showering them with love. Discipline has its place. Absolutely it does. But the scripture's warning here, fathers, don't let discipline become the mark of your relationship with your children so that you don't provoke them to wrath. You know, to me, this can be put with Malachi 4, turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Some children turn their hearts, some fathers turn their hearts away from their children by being wrathful against them. Says, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And I, my wife and I have said that if we would do anything differently, and there are many things I would do differently. I, I mean, I was a young father, and, and I matured along the way and grew and learned along the way. So there are many things I would do differently. But one of the things I would do differently is instead of punishing our children when they did wrong, we would, we would immediately take them to the word of God and say, here's why what you're doing is wrong. Here's what God says, and he's the one to whom you ultimately must answer, both in this life and in the life to come. In other words, we would use the word of God more diligently as a, as a disciplinary tool because it says bring them up in the training and admonition. In other words, we would teach and train our children through the word of God more. Not that we didn't use it at all, but we felt like, we could have done better at that. We could have done a lot better at that. We could have made that really the central disciplinary tool of our household. And admonition, the warning of God. God because look, God doesn't give us rules that, because he hates us. He gives us rules because he loves us. And he wants to protect us from the things that will cause destruction and harm in our lives. And people think sin is fun. Sin, sin is like lighting the fuse of a nuclear bomb and dropping it right into the middle of your life. That's what it's like. You talk about destruction. You want to know what destruction looks like? Just let sin get in the middle of your situation and you'll see it. Look at what's happening in our country now. Sin's running rampant, stealing and killing and as the books, as the, the Bible says in Hosea chapter four, I believe it is blood runs in the streets. Sin. That's what sin does. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Talking about Satan. Who is Satan? He's sin personified. Stealing, killing and destroying is what he does. And he does it primarily through the tool of deception. So it's, it's saying Bring your children up in the nurture, the admonition, the training of the Lord. In other words, not, well, well, well mommy or daddy, how come? Because I said so. It would be much better to say, because God said so. Because God said that's wrong. And God is the ultimate determiner of right and wrong. When he says it's wrong, it's wrong. When he says it's right, it's right. And and mommy and daddy are held to the same standard that you're held to. It's not do as I say, not as I do. It's let's all do as God says. 
fifth verse. So this is controversial. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, people say, well, see, see, I don't like the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is nobody we should listen to because Apostle Paul supported slavery. Paul did not support slavery. He did not. And any, any true reading of the scripture will tell you that. Paul simply took the circumstances of life as they were and was teaching Christians based on the revelation from God how to live within those circumstances, how to live God-glorifying lives within those circumstances. I just talked about Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Now, Uncle Tom's Cabin, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Harriet Beecher Stowe, she's the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, is she? Hey, let me check that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you double-check it. Forgive me. I, I, I read a lot of books. I, sometimes I, cause I feel this, I don't, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. No, Phyllis Wheatley comes earlier. Phyllis Wheatley comes much earlier. That's right, because I was thinking, Phyllis Wheatley, is it? But, but Uncle Tom's Cabin is a story about just that. It's a story about a man who is clearly being treated unjustly, is clearly in a bad situation, but he's following the lead of Almighty God, and his primary purpose is not vengeance, not bitterness, not anger, not, escape, not even escape, but his primary purpose is the souls of those he can influence to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That was the priority of the early church. Because remember, you're, you're talking about a circumstance in which there is no such thing as Christianity, and now Christianity is exploding around the world. And, and, and what, is the, what is the purpose of this, this explosion of truth, this explosion of spiritual power? The purpose is to bring men and women into the kingdom of God. And Paul was not allowing himself to get sidetracked with issues that were unrelated to that. Because remember now, the world was dominated, the known world, not the entire world, but the known world was dominated by Rome. And, and there was, it, it, some Christian wasn't going to do anything to change that. In fact, I'll be, uh, to, to, to be very honest, although, believe me, God never engineers subjugation. I really believe that God brought Christ into the world at a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular circumstance, because that was the most efficient way God had of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out in the according to the timetable that God had for human history. And, and Christ is brought into the world at the time that Rome had, in a sense, united the entire world. Rome had built roads. Rome had done away with uh, borders as we knew them. Because you know, people say Jesus escaped down into Egypt. Well, it wasn't really an escape. It was an escape from Herod. But, it's, but Egypt was under the control of Rome, too. So it's not like Jesus was going into some uh, country, you know, to say, well, no, you don't have a right to be here. I mean, the whole world was a Roman world, which allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out all over the world in a way that it would not have without the unifying 
governance, if you will, of, of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire facilitated the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of its unifying power. Now, I know it wasn't socially unified, and I'm not, don't, don't go too far with that. I'm not suggesting it was like, you know, uh, a democracy. It was not. It was the Roman dictatorship. But a lot of, there was a lot of autonomy among the nations, but they were all considered to be under the aegis of Caesar. So the gospel of Jesus Christ had a network through which it could spread. And of course, we know Paul ends up where? In Rome. So I said all that simply to say, the Bible does not support slavery. People come up with that nonsense and say, how can the Bible be supportive of slavery when the first epic story of the Bible is the story of God delivering slaves out of slavery? If the Bible supported slavery, God would say, well, you know, you all are in a great position. Stay right there because that's where I need you. I want you to be slaves. He didn't. He said, I want you to be free. And Moses went down and told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Um, look, folks, that's going to do it for today. I've got to go. But I, I thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for your support. Remember, this is Patriot Partners Month. We're celebrating the 12th anniversary of Stan. Oh, we got some exciting things that were coming this year, too. Some exciting things. We're already working on some things. We got some exciting things coming this year as part of our 12th anniversary celebration. I wish I had a cup in front of me. Unfortunately, I don't. But if you sign up as a Patriot partner with a monthly recurring gift, we'll send you a beautiful 12th anniversary commemorative cup with the big stand logo on the front, 12th anniversary and the date, July 4th, 2021. Uh, on, on each side. It's really, really nice looking cup. Uh, I'll show it to you when I come back on Monday. Uh, so, but thank you for your support. Your prayers are really most important. And I don't say that lightly because look, prayers will produce resources. Okay. Resources can never substitute for prayer. So, uh, but if you want to pray for us and make a contribution, believe me, we're, we're, we're appreciative of it all. So God bless each and every one of you. Have, have a wonderful weekend. I hope you get to church this weekend. And by the way, if you're in the Virginia, the Southeast Virginia area, or in the end, even if you're in Hawaii, <laughs> fly on in. <laughs> but we'll be worshiping at the Call Church at 943 Canal Drive in Chesapeake uh, at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. So stop by and see us. I would love to see you. And we're live streaming our services starting at about 1130. So you can also tune in to bishopewjackson.tv or you can go to our webpage, I mean our Facebook page, ewjacksonsr and thecall.org and a number of other places where you can watch the live stream. Uh, we'd be glad to have you watching us and interacting with us and even joining with us, even if you're afar, because with the technology today, we can connect uh, in a way that can help you, even if right now you're without a church home or you're looking and you don't have anybody that you're connected to and you want to connect with us, we'll be glad to have you. So God bless each and every one of you. Have a wonderful weekend. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.